Good morning. Good morning. This is As Much Protein as an Egg, Episode 5. I hope you've listened to the prior episodes. We've got no Portuguese sweetbread baking here today, but we do have a happy Mother's Day to wish to all of you, especially to my mom, Judy Harwood, my wife, Kelly Vogel, Nana Vogel, and Gogo Welch. Lots of love to the moms and grandmas in my life. Love you guys. I hope you, dear listener, are taking care of your mom on this wonderful day here in 2020. Of course, it's odd to celebrate Mother's Day on Zoom, FaceTime, distancing, physical distancing, not socially. Socially, we're trying to come together. Physically, we're distancing. It's a crazy time in the world here. I've been thinking about writing more and adding it to that Tuesday story that I read you initially about 9-11, back when this whole thing started. And maybe that'll be my next writing project. But for now, I'm here to give you more of as much protein as an egg. I also have been watching the Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN that comes out every Sunday night. Ten hours of awesome content in a world without sports. What do you want? Content about Michael Jordan's career and his last season with the Bulls in 97-98. It's literally the best thing going in sports right now. And the only thing. Any case, I've been watching the show and I've got some thoughts on how that material connects to the Maltese Jordans. I'll be talking about this after the episode. But for now, let's get into chapter 8 of As Much Protein as an Egg. I started chapter 8 in the last episode. It was about Match.com and how old Bainbridge McGree had a profile on Match.com that he was really uh, working hard on. He was also working hard on a book. And right now he's on the golf course. So we're going to pick up there in the middle of chapter 8. After his foursome finished up their 18 holes of golf, Bainbridge McGee went to the clubhouse with Big Wind to eat lunch. The clubhouse was a place where golfers ate lunch and hung around naked. They did the first in the dining room and the second in their locker room. Excuse me. Most of the golfers really liked to hang around naked. This was because nobody ever saw their penises, not even their wives, especially not their wives. Their penises needed air. Most of the golfers had below-average length penises. Big Win had a penis that was two inches long and four four inches in diameter when engorged with blood. It looked a lot like a tuna can. Bainbridge McGee had a penis that was seven inches long and two inches in diameter when engorged with blood. He took after his father, whose penis was seven inches long, but only one and one quarter inches in diameter. The apple never falls far from the tree. Artemis Kellogg had a penis that was just over average size. It was six inches long and one and five-eighths inches in diameter when engorged with blood. Because Bainbridge McGee wasn't married and was younger than most of the other golfers, he had plenty of opportunity to air out his penis. He did this a lot on Match.com dates, which I'll tell you about now. McGee's online profile for Match.com was something of a disguise. 
For this reason, a lot of the ladies got excited to meet him. What they could tell about him was this. He seemed rich, had a nice house, and he liked to golf. To say they threw him themselves at him isn't exactly right, but I can tell you that he got a lot of winks on Match.com. A wink was how someone told you they liked your profile. For Bainbridge McGee, a wink usually led to a date. A lot of these dates led to sex. Listen, McGee's success rate for sexual activity on Match.com was a very amazing 674 The average success rate of all male users on Match.com was only 11.3%. The average rate of sexual activity for women on Match.com dates was a slightly better 21.2%. This was because they were often skeeved out by the men they met on these dates. It was also because these women were not, quote, desperate, unquote. Emily Plinko's success rate on Match.com was 5%. That night, she had actually shown up at the date drunk. She still regretted what happened. Big Win and McGee ordered their lunches. Big asked McGee what he planned to do the rest of the day. You got another hot date tonight from that website, don't you, Miggy? He said. McGee sipped his drink. He liked iced tea mixed with lemonade. This was called an Arnold Palmer, after the famous golfer who liked to drink it. McGee liked his Arnold Palmer with extra lemon wedges. No, McGee said. I'm off that shit. Too many crazy ladies out there. Big nodded. He said he had observed the same thing. This wasn't actually true. Big had never gone on Match.com. He didn't have a profile at all. He was married. McGee said, Thing is, if I go to the nest, I meet women who aren't crazy but do don't want to have sex with me. And if I use the internet, I meet women who are crazy and only want sex. The Nest was a bar in La Quinta where a lot of cougars liked to hang out. Cougars were mostly older divorced women with money who liked to have sex. They were at a time and place in their lives where they didn't mind going after what they wanted, which was largely men younger than McGee. Boys, really. McGee often saw young men hanging out at the Nest, soaking up all the attention from cougars. He once asked a few what they thought they were doing. We're getting free drinks, they said. This was what they really wanted. Cougars loved to buy them drinks. If they happened to have sex with a cougar too, well, then that was just icing on the cake, so to speak. So here's to the internet then. Big Win raised his pint of beer and took a long sip, which left a mustache of foam across his upper lip. He didn't bother to brush it away. Yeah, McGee said, but he didn't sound convincing. Big Win was about to mention this, but then the waiter brought their lunches out from the kitchen. Whatever you ordered at the clubhouse, it came out very fast. This was a secret about the club. Even I cannot tell you how they did this. In front of Big Win, a plate held a cheeseburger and fries. In front of McGee, a plate held an Asian chicken salad. These were their lunches. Because Big Win was already married and knew he wouldn't have much sex, he didn't care about having washboard abs. So he ate a cheeseburger and fries, even though he knew they had a lot of fat and cholesterol. And carbs! Man, did that bun and fries have a lot of carbs. But Big Win didn't care. The fries alone had over 15 grams of fat. But Big Win didn't even have an app on his smartphone to tell him this. The truth was that because Big Win had a penis that resembled a tuna can, he had even less sex than other married men his age. 
This was very little sex. Big Win also never hung out in the locker room naked. Ever since the time in high school when the rest of the lacrosse team made fun of him in the shower, Big Win rarely got naked around anybody, not even his wife. In his whole life, she was the only woman who he had ever had sex with. He was actually very lucky to have found her, because her vaginal canal was very wide and shallow. But still, they didn't have much sex. Big Win ate his cheeseburger, and Bainbridge McGee forked into his Asian chicken salad. Truth is, I'm getting uncomfortable with all this talk about sex and naked old men. McGee was thinking about his next masterpiece. He had decided he wanted to start writing it that very day. It was going to be about people jumping out of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. After lunch, McGee went home and got and took a shower. He was back in his den an hour later, where he sat down in his desk in clean pants and a fresh polo shirt. A polo shirt was like a t-shirt with a collar. Because he was a golfer, all his shirts had to have collars. McGee wanted to write. He turned on his computer and waited for it to get ready. His computer took approximately 67 seconds to get ready. It was a Dell computer made in 2008. That made it a slightly older computer. His computer used an operating system called Windows that was made by the Microsoft Corporation. Bill Gates had started the Microsoft Corporation after dropping out of Harvard College. Now he was one of the richest men in the world. Most of the people in America used computers with the Windows operating system. Artemis Kellogg used a laptop with an Apple Macintosh operating system. So did Emily Plinko. Most of the people in San Francisco used Apple computers. Apple Computer was started by a man named Steve Jobs, along with a man called Woz. Steve Jobs had dropped out of Reed College. Both Jobs and Woz became very rich. While McGee's computer got ready, McGee steeled himself to not visit Match.com or the Internet. He would allow himself to check his email, he decided, but he would not go on Match.com. Bainbridge McGee went on the Internet only to check his email. For some reason, he still had an AOL email address. Nobody but old people used AOL for their email anymore, which explained why younger women on Match.com wouldn't date him. No winks from any younger women, either. The first email in Bainbridge McGee's inbox had this subject line, Enlarge your penis! He didn't pay that one any mind. Those emails arrived in everyone's inboxes all the time. Even women got these. A lot. Another email told McGee he may have just won $1 million. He didn't read that one either. Most people spent a lot of their time having maybe just won $1 million. As soon as McGee saw the next email, he sat back hard in his chair. The next email he saw had a subject line that surprised him. This email was, the si- was from the science fiction and fantasy writers of America. Its subject line read... Damon Knight Memorial Grandmaster Award. This was the email. Among his writer friends of a certain age and distinction, there was a shared knowledge of the email. When you got it, all your friends would get angry and want to tell you to fuck off. But really, the Damon Knight Memorial Grandmaster Award was very, very good news. This meant that not only would Bainbridge McGee not be starting a new novel today, it meant he was going on a bender! Chapter 9 
While Bainbridge McGee was finding out about this very, very good news, Artemis Kellogg was trying to figure out the best way to talk to Emily Plinko before she got up and walked out of the cafe and his life forever. Sure, there was a chance he might run into her again, but in a city as big as San Francisco, you never knew. He had to act on the moment. He had to seize the opportunity. Opportunity was knocking. He stood up from his table, upsetting his paper cup of coffee, which was compostable, of course. Luckily, it was empty. He caught it and put it back on the table. No mess, no harm, no foul. Emily Plinko was looking earnestly at her computer screen. She was still caught up on Facebook. Facebook was started by a man named Mark Zuckerberg, who also dropped out of Harvard College. He became one of the richest men in the world. Are you seeing a pattern here? Most Americans wanted to go to college. They took it as fact that college was the way to prosperity, success, happiness, and financial gain. They considered themselves really very lucky if they got to go to and then graduate from college. Most of them took out huge amounts of debt to do this. As Artemis Kellogg approached Emily Plinko, she looked up. She had sensed him coming over. Most people could sense the flow of particles or energies in the room around them. It alerted them to situations where people were coming closer, even if they didn't see them coming. This was called animal magnetism. How it worked was a real mystery. When Emily Plinko looked up, she saw a funny smile on Artemis Kellogg's face. She immediately became confused. What confused her was, A, why Kellogg was coming toward her, and B, why he seemed so strangely happy. Kellogg was happy because he thought Emily Plinko had invited him over with her wink. She had no knowledge of winking. Hey, Kellogg said. Hi. Hi, Kellogg said. This stopped him. What was he supposed to say next? How are you doing, he said. I'm fine, actually. Just fine. And you? Good. Good. Kellogg angled his chin toward the chair across from Emily Plinko. He pulled it out from the table by the backrest. He really was feeling very brave. Mind if I sit down for a minute? Emily Plinko looked at the table where Kellogg had been sitting. She was aware he had been there, but hadn't noticed him beyond that. His table was still where she thought it was. His chair was empty. His laptop was open. Artemis Kellogg sat down. He said, Thanks. Emily Plinko thought that was funny. He looked around. Nice day, right? Now Emily Plinko started to feel funny. She thought she might laugh. It had just occurred to her that an actual adult male human being was sitting across from her and just might be hitting on her. This was definitely a different sensation than going on Match.com. She could feel a weird tingling on her skin. This was how human beings felt when they were nervous. Talking to new people made Emily Plinko nervous. Artemis Kellogg felt an odd tingling, too. He worried that he might have made a mistake. He wondered if he had really seen her wink. Without thinking she had winked at him, Kellogg would never have had this much confidence. Emily Plinko put her hand over her mouth. This was what nice girls from the Midwest and parts of Asia did when they thought they might laugh. Minnesota was in the Midwest. Asia was all the way on the other side of the world. When she was five years old, Emily Plinko dug a hole in her backyard as deep as she could. Her mother came outside and said, What are you doing? Digging to China? 
China was in Asia. If you dug a hole through the center of the earth, you would not go to China. You would encounter the earth's boiling core, molten lava. This lava was so hot that you would certainly die. Emily Plinko laughed. Artemis Kellogg blushed. Then he laughed. What's funny, he asked. I don't know, she said. I thought you winked at me. What? I... Artemis Kellogg stopped himself. He didn't want to sound stupid. This was not the kind of thing you said to pretty girls. He put out his hand. I'm Artemis, he said. Emily Plinko shook his hand. Emily. She closed the top of her computer. And that's what I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back next week to give you chapters 10 and 11 of the book. This is the part where you should stop listening if you don't want to hear me talk about Michael Jordan and the new documentary, or the fact that I seem to have bitten or burned my tongue this morning, eating a hard-boiled egg. It's hard to read fiction out loud when you've bitten or burned your tongue. Willa thinks I exploded one of my taste buds, but I don't think that's the case. But I do have a big thing on my tongue. It's a bruise. Not very big. Small. You know how things feel, though, when they're in your mouth. Giant. In any case, last night I was watching the Michael Jordan documentary, and I was worried as they started talking about when Michael Jordan retired in 1993. This is kind of the premise of the Maltese Jordans, is that when Michael Jordan retired in 1993, he was worried about gambling. I don't think that's really true. I don't think that it's true that Michael Jordan was pushed out of the league. I do think that somehow, well, so here's the thing. If the Maltese Jordans were to exist, part of how they're explained in the book is because Michael Jordan was worried about getting kicked out of the league if he was caught gambling and losing a ton of money. Whether he would actually lose money to Trump gambling on golf is very unknown. I have no idea if that's possible or even true. My guess is probably that Michael Jordan is a way better golfer than Trump. Trump probably plays more golf than Jordan, but Jordan is such a competitive, insane person that he probably is better at golf than Trump. I think. I would imagine so. So the idea that Jordan would lose a big golf bet to Trump is unlikely. Also, the idea that Jordan would... Maybe this should be its own whole podcast. I could debunk the Maltese Jordans. Seth Harwood debunks the Maltese Jordans. No, the stories aren't true. It's funny. People have read the book and they say, is this all true? And I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's not true. Of course it's not true. It's fiction. Jordan was never forced out of the league for gambling. Jordan decided to retire. It was a really strange thing to do, but he was pretty burned out. And everyone in the world wanted uh, a piece of him. So he was kind of in a tough spot. But he was definitely the best player at basketball ever. Best player in the world at the time. And it was inevitable that he would go back to basketball, I think. But at the time, he didn't go away because of gambling or David Stern. But there are some weird comments that he might have said. In any case... 
There's a possibility, a glimpse of a truth, which is what I exploited in writing the Maltese Jordans. This conspiracy theory, this possibility that he went away for gambling. So then, assuming that he did lose a golf bet in 1996 after winning his fourth championship, this is also totally a stretch and fiction. Uh, It's possible that he would have gone to Malta or Saudi Arabia to play in this crazy basketball game. I mean, he never would have done that, but maybe he would have done that to make a bunch of money or just because he loved to play. Probably he would just be easier to play at home. When he was recording Space Jam, uh, they had really great games out there in L.A. But that was 1995, the year before he won the championship. This would be the summer of 96, Anyway, in the book, he goes over to Saudi Arabia to play in this game, gives the king of Saudi Arabia these amazing sneakers, the Maltese Jordans that are gold-encrusted, jeweled, bejeweled, all these things. And none of it is possible or even true. It's fiction. It's totally fiction. It's made up. And it's fun, and I hope you like it. And I'd be curious to know if you're listening, if you've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary and what it makes you think about the likelihood, possibility, story of the Maltese Jordans. Does this have anything to say about the Maltese Jordans at all? I mean, it's totally a novel, but there's some fun nuggets of truth and history about Michael Jordan that some people might buy into when they read it. And... Hopefully it's a lot of fun as a book. That's what I've got to say. Hope you had a great Mother's Day with your family and hope you're doing well. I'll be back soon with more for your ears. This is your boy, out. This is a presentation from your boy, Seth Harwood. That's right. S-E-T-H-H-A-R-W-O-O-D Coming to you here from Massachusetts, East Hampton During the Corona COVID 2020 That's right, your boy Kicking it to you live and direct Fresh off the mic SethHarwood.com Patreon.com Slash Seth Harwood Patreon All the places Check it out Keep it locked.